the macro thesis, I think, is that what the internet did for information basically made it so newspapers and entertainment um, and games, anything that relied on information had a new business model after, after the Internet of Information. I think that anything that relies on money is going to have to have a new business model after the Internet of Money. So that's speculation in, in finance, which is what 90% of people talk about when they talk about DeFi, but it's also employment. How do we build a worldwide network of, of employment that's, that's better than the network of employment that we had from the industrial age? Welcome to Opolis Public Radio, where we dig into how a rapidly changing world is impacting our lives and what we can do about it, with a focus on freelancing, finances, and the future of work. On this episode of Opolis Public Radio, we dig into how to democratize employment, the future of work, and its experience in Colorado as a geographic and social political tech hub. So welcome to episode six of OPR. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Kevin Awaki. Hey, Kevin. Hello. Thanks for having me, John. You're welcome. He's the founder of Gitcoin, a blockchain-based network for growing open source software with incentivization mechanics. Uh, Kev has a BS in CS, 10 years of engineering leadership experience and startups, open source software, and is a community organizer in the Boulder tech scene. Did I, did I get all that? Yeah. Uh, Something like that. that. And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> yeah. A wannabe philosopher king is what my Twitter bio says right now. Yeah, actually, but, that's a good point. Like we've we've yeah. had plenty of rap sessions like that. So here we're going to go do another one. On on Yeah, we're going to record it this time. So yeah, we're going to record it and out. broadcast it to the world and see if anybody gives a rip if, you know, of what we have to say. <laughs> Yeah, I I hope that they do because uh, we all rely on employment for our financial lives. And I really think that there's a lot of upside for the crypto community to figure out how to package up the internet of money and help people with, with jobs because there's, what is it, like 20 million people unemployed right now? What if we could build it's a better like, It was at 36 million or something at the peak, yeah. but now it's like dead back down in the 20s, yeah. Yeah, so if people are let's, let's talk about that be. then. So... You and I have been talking about this since 2017, that really our view of this whole democratization, decentralization effort is really hinged on individuals' ability to kind of like participate and access more kind of fluid systems, which really all points to work, right? I mean, DeFi, a lot of other things that we've even had on the podcast, like these are really cool and important components, but the commercial engine of everybody's day-to-day lives is employment, it's payroll. It's yeah, employment is work. just proof of work, but in a non-blockchain con- context. In a, in a very, you know, old school, kind of gilded age kind of way. Yeah, industrial era proof of work. Industrial era proof of work, for sure. Mm. So let's talk yep. about that. You and I have been working on different approaches to the future of work for quite some mm-hmm. time. So tell us a little bit about how Gitcoin's evolving and kind of what you're thinking about now and in sure. your kind of latest musings as a philosopher king. And I'm just, I'm not going to yeah. say you're a wannabe philosopher king because on this show, you're going to be, you're going to be, I'm crowning you right now, dude. So go ahead and take uh, it. Oh, shucks. This is the, the future of work philosopher circle. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Gitcoin's mission, our, our deep reason for being is to grow and sustain open source software to provide economic opportunities to software developers. So um, if you, 
if you couldn't tell by the hair and the and the general demeanor, I am a software developer and it's my mission to help other software developers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I see you're working on a beard now, John. So that's the COVID there, scruffle, man. Soon. That's that's just a byproduct of like not yeah. having to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, or just living in Colorado. But yeah, so we want to provide economic opportunities to software developers. And so we've got a double-sided market that connects people who want to fund open source software. And then on the other side of the market is software developers who are looking for work. And so we've delivered about $5.8 million worth of Ethereum and Ethereum adjacent tokens to software developers who are looking for work. Uh, So we're kind of building that market layer for software developers to find work that that will not only pay well, but that they care about and and do it all in an open source environment. So I think that we're trying to build a market layer for discoverability of of talent in in a pretty uh, in a, in, a, in a sort of a, a pretty upscale niche. I mean, software developers are 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 really in demand right now. So it's a good good place to start when you're building the future of work, building it for talent that's in demand. Yeah, it seems like uh, your marketplace is pretty niche, um, you know, in software development, A, and then blockchain sort of paying in crypto mm-hmm. tokens and uh, Ethereum yeah. and adjacent tokens. So like there's there's a very kind of focused approach there. What what mm-hmm. are you, you know, what are you feeling like Gitcoin looks like in the future to like get regular people to adopt it? Like, I mean, yeah. there's still the same conversations like private key management, authentication. For sure. These are issues, right? And then just the usability yeah. of these tokens, exchanges, things like that. Like, how do yeah. how do you envision that going? Yeah, we're going straight for the questions that I ask myself when I'm staring at the ceiling at two a.m. So, uh, well, wouldn't it be great if there was an employment <laughs> ecosystem that you could integrate into that had those yeah. rails built, and then like we could just collaborate on yeah. building this like full stack shareable infrastructure that ultimately yeah. democratizes employment for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that what's that's what's really cool about the off-white paper that uh, Opolis built is that I think that y'all are going to handle a lot of the administrative uh, infrastructure and regulatory stuff associated with employment that a software developer like me who's building a marketplace maybe hasn't thought of. And y'all have been there and you've been through the nitty gritty. So I think that what we're doing is is pretty complementary to what you're doing. And I think that we're all we're solving the same problems around private key management and usability uh, at the market layer that you are at, at the employment and, and the administrative and payroll layer. So um, happy to, ex- I think it's fun to exchange notes and kind of see how we can, we can kind of slingshot each other as we build the future of work. Well, that's been the whole, I mean, I think since our first, one of our first conversations, I was sort of, you know, shilling that idea of this sort of collaborative, you know, rev share tech share, yeah you know, quasi public utility infrastructure. And, and, you know, really what's really been amazing to watch Gitcoin grow is like for a niche market. I mean, you guys have done a really good job at, you know, capturing attention. And, you know, like you said earlier, if you got paid in Twitter mentions, you'd be doing pretty damn well, you know, I mean, (laughs) that was the pay my staff in Twitter mentions yet, but we're working on it. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, reputation might, might have a different, you know, vector to that later on, but like we'll get there. Right. So about all of these efforts as it relates to this notion of democratizing employment. So you and I have riffed on this too. And I think you have some really interesting ideas. 
about what you see the future of work looking like. Do you want to go ahead and unpack some of those for me? And Yeah, so I mean, I think that one of the things that blockchain really enables is that we now have the internet of money, right? So uh, that means that you can do instant worldwide payments in 15 seconds or less, or maybe 15 minutes if the Ethereum network is clogged. Uh, we'll see how well this that that comment ages, but right now the Ethereum network uh, is, has got a lot of demand because there's a lot of demand for payments that can be worldwide. Um, and then so uh, basically what it does is Gitcoin built on top of the Ethereum Rails, a worldwide network for software development talent. So basically this morning, I riffed with my team in India, who's all working for crypto and Gitcoin on the next Gitcoin features. And then when they go to bed, um, I'm, I'm starting to see like later in the day, I'll be jamming with people in other time zones. So there's this worldwide network of software developers that's all willing to work for crypto. And so I think that the main thing that, that we could start as building a foundation for our conception of what Gitcoin's building is that it's all, it's all blockchain based. You can build a rails for employment off of the internet of money. And that internet of money can be more efficient than the legacy system, which, uh, which is, is slower um, and it's harder to align incentives. And so I think that like the, the macro thesis, I think, is that what the internet did for information basically made it so newspapers and entertainment, um, and games, anything that relied on information had a new business model after, after the internet of information. I think that anything that relies on money is going to have to have a new business model after the internet of money. So that's speculation in, in finance, which is what 90% of people talk about when they talk about DeFi, but it's also employment. How do we build a worldwide network of, of employment that's, that's better than the network of employment that we had from the industrial age? And that's sort of what we're Without trying to Without a lot of the growth. intermediaries and paywalls and blockers and other things that, yeah. that stifle the fluidity and frequency of work, right? I mean, that's really, yeah. when you look at the, just the payments mechanisms for paying a person in a third, third you know, in a, in a different country, it's very difficult well, the cool thing about Gitcoin and Ethereum is that I have developers who are out of Nigeria and are out of Eastern Europe who don't trust their financial institutions and they can work for Gitcoin and get paid in a matter of days. Whereas if they worked for another gig app that was based off of the fiat economy, they'd be fighting with their banks trying to get the payment for months and maybe sometimes they wouldn't even get it. So we kind of short circuit uh, anywhere where there's corruption or you don't t trust your financial institutions by using. Yeah, it's money. big. I mean, well, this is, the, I mean, this is democratization of the money flow on one end. And I, I like, actually really like your analogy of the information world because really the information in was the ability for people to access information without as many intermediaries or paywalls or other bullshit. Yeah. Right. Like, so the frequency and fluidity of that information is what brings the democracy of it, right? So in the yeah. world of work, I think the access to work, the access to payments through work, and mm. the, this high frequency, high fluidity is really, I think what you're talking about. I think this is you know, building the rails of access to opportunity and then administering yeah. that opportunity and yeah. is really the kind of perfect recipe in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I think that, um, I, yes, and I, I would also sound a note of caution, which is that um, people not only rely on their jobs these days for economic upset, upside and opportunities, but they also rely on it for their healthcare, for their retirement. There's a lot of things that are bundled with jobs in the industrial age. And I think that uh, we have to be sort of really careful as we reinvent employment to uh, find new ways of, of bringing those things along for, for people that rely on, I mean, you know, 
I, but I they're I they're part thing. of this. They're the part of they're part of the safety and security infrastructure. And and if you yeah. just down with corporations, okay. But then if that's where people are accessing those features and things that provide those support beams for their for their lives yeah. and their families, they're not going to move, right? They're they're going to continue to stay. Which is yeah, you know, largely one of our conclusions is that you know people haven't yeah. jumped into the gig economy or entrepreneurship, even though there's more access to it. They're not yeah. doing it because they don't want to give up safety and security for the freedom and yeah. flexibility. It's kind of an an additive thing. You, like, well, you have, yes, yeah. I want the I want the freedom and flexibility, but I'm not giving up the the yeah. support beams. I mean, I think that you almost have two different audiences. You have the people who don't rely on that safety and security infrastructure. Either they're in their 20s or they're they don't have access to that safety and security infrastructure in the old world. And those people will port over to the internet of money, no problem, because it's just better. But I think that what's really neat about about what Opolis is doing is that uh, is that for Gitcoin's user base, I can basically integrate each Gitcoin bounty or grant that people are making their living off of, and I can just pass them over to Opolis, and Opolis will provide a, a drop-in infrastructure for some of that safety and security stuff that that I don't have the expertise uh, to build. So I think that there's, right, and, and there's maybe the a hint whole... of something coming. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The whole idea would be that you don't have to be, right? Like, I mean, to build the entire stack, I think we estimated this at one point, you and I. Yeah. Give me a hundred million bucks in ten years and we could build the fully integrated stack yeah. like in one little compartment. Like one yeah. little one company could do that. We should make like, that pitch the, to Joe just to see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Ten ten years and a hundred million bucks. Like yeah. yeah. I got it. <laughs> Um, all right. So what do you think it looks like? You know, give me the day in the life of a future worker 10 years from now. Let's say, let's say we're successful. Let's mm-hmm. say, you know, Gitcoin is, is providing the market layer for, yeah. you know, the international employment commons, which is, you know, this, uh, employment cooperative that, mm-hmm. you know, the users own, right? So it's mm-hmm. a public good infrastructure that the value creation of it goes back to the users and owners of it, which are the community. Um, what, what do you, what do you think that looks like? You know, or how many, how many jobs does a person hold where, you know, what's their, what's their day in life look like in your mind? Yeah, for sure. I think that right now there's, a, there's corporations that have a monopoly on our employment. And I think that for that reason, you have sort of an asymmetric relationship of power between the corporation that you work for because they have a monopoly over your employment and therefore your healthcare and your safety and security and all that kind of stuff. My vision is sort of a mesh network of jobs where we could all, you know, we all exchange information with each other peer to peer now. Um, It it would follow that, uh, you know, the, the internet put a thousand songs in your pocket. I think that crypto is going to put a bank in your pocket. So what if you could work for your peers? What if you could work for someone who's your mentor? And there's a mesh network of jobs with much more dense connections, which would allow people to not have a monopoly on their employment. They can kind of use it as monkey bars to get to where they want to be professionally. And so they could kind of design it however they want, right? I mean, it could really be choose your own adventure almost entirely. Yeah, well, subject to supply and demand, right? So if you have an in-demand sure. skill, then you have leverage over over where you want to go. And I think that it's about giving people those skills, but also the infrastructure to navigate the mesh network of of jobs. And, and I've started to conceive it more recently as a mesh network of earning opportunities. So in the future, we're going to unbundle employment and people will have multiple income streams. Maybe they'll have a Gitcoin grant that they get thousands of dollars a month from, but they'll also have um, some servers running in a closet 
which earns some Filecoin, Ethereum, proof of stake, and that will also be part of their income. And then they'll have a couple DAOs that they work for where they're also earning income. And that will make up in composite the the equivalent of what would have been a full-time job in, in the old world. And if they're really good, if they have a lot of leverage in the form of demand for their skill sets, they can always have better terms, be getting a raise from their mesh network of peers that are paying for them. And so my hope is that we just provide leverage to the individual who's who's trying to provide economic upside for their family, which we all are. We're all we're all in this to build a better world and and to support our families. And I, and I think it's providing the tools to, for people to do that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and and you know, having having the the you know tools connected in a way that also provides good information, right? Like you talk about supply and demand. Like right now, if you're unemployed, you have no visibility into what the actual market needs. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's no there's no data set. There's no data source that yeah. would say, "Hey, look, there's there's a big shortage of this kind of software yeah. developer, or well, that kind of programmer, yeah. or this kind of designer." Right? Like, nobody knows. Maybe, there's no visibility maybe like Monster.com, but like Monster.com is just like a black hole that you send your resume in, and like one out of a hundred, you'll get. I hit back. So it's like really frustrating yeah. to be searching for a job. I, ca- I call those yeah. haystack tech that, you know, yeah. it's the same needles, the bigger haystack. So like, just because you have more data doesn't mean that it's actually any good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think there isn't anything that's, that's well curated sort of widespread data either. Cause of course monster would be a very small vector, right? There might be some yeah. trends that you might extrapolate bigger trends, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It just doesn't seem the incentive, like the incentives are actually there to create those kind of efficiencies. A lot of these technology companies actually thrive off the inefficiency of connection. Yeah. Like they're not actually being, are. exactly. They're not being incentivized. I mean, staffing is a $170 billion business, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the most inefficient possible way that you could acquire talent, yeah. but people still do it because it's marginally more efficient and easier and less expensive yeah. from a macro standpoint than the bad information and, you know, small resources that a lot of, you know, technology yeah. provides today. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a really interesting paradox. I mean, we, we're, we're in 2020 and, you know, a lot of the ways that, that kind of work and, and people connect and the way that people work through the work system and how they sort of, you know, engage with it is, is still incredibly, incredibly old school industrial revolution, like archaic systems. It's, it's, it's quite fascinating, I think. Yeah, I mean, I've, been in sure. it, I've been in it for 20 years. So like, I've been watching this a long time. Yeah. And it's just, it's kind of a head scratcher. You'd think, you know, you'd think it'd be better. But the, you know, the game systems really is, is what the incentives aren't aligned to create the outcomes that we should yeah. really be working toward, which is, I think, the bigger problem of everything. So yeah, for sure. I mean, when I try to conceive of this, one of the most influential things that I read was the sovereign individual um, about a couple of years ago. And so basically the idea there is that we're humanity has gone through all these different epochs of how it organizes itself, starting with the hunter gatherer age, then uh, moved to the agricultural age, uh, then moved to the industrial age. And now we're in this transition from the industrial age and the industrial revolution defined world into the information age world. And so we're moving from this world in which the mechanism for organization of, of humans was the corporation. Um, and, and now we're moving to this world in which there, the, the mechanism for organization is the network, which is way more efficient, can scale to way more people. And so I think that what's cool is, is, you know, Opolis and the off white paper, what you defined in there is basically leveraging networks and protocols. And I hope that the Opolis network is the Trinet killer. 
I'm calling it on episode six of the Opolis Public Radio and episode 206 when you actually kill Trinet. Uh, you'll have to have me back and we can reflect. On <laughs> Let's that. do but it. I, I think that the cool thing is that, you know, these, these industrial age corporations got to this place where they captured the regulatory apparatus and they cap, they made it hard for small entrants to compete with them because they captured the entire, they cornered the market and then they have these fat margin margins where they just extract, they extract, they extract. And so what if you could build an ethical community owned network and, and sort of like, use the network, the attributes of the information age to lever that in to the, uh, make, start to make inroads into where these industrial age uh, corporations have had a lot of, ha have traditionally owned. And I think that, that what you're doing is, is, is really playing the long game here by having steward owned networks of employment and employment's too important for, for someone to be extracting a fat margin from your paycheck every, every month. And so that's why, I, that's what keeps me up uh, at night and gets me up in the morning to, to work on this problem. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I, we'd love to be the, you know, no disrespect to Trinet, but, you know, and we're not we're not like haters or anything. I mean, they've filled a, a role and there's been a lot of good that's come out of the things that they've yeah. done. But, you know, I think that when you talk about the extraction component and just that the ethics of it, you know, if you ask them, they wouldn't see anything wrong with what they're doing. And, and, and you know, if for the, the time and the place that they've done it, there, there hasn't been. But the, the next epoch of capitalism includes stakeholdership, not just shareholdership, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, that's, I think that's what you're really highlighting is really creating a better game design that's more sustainable and more you know, rewarding for all contributors of value creation, mm -hmm. not just the capital yeah. or founders or whoever happens to be sitting on the cap table of things. Yeah. I mean, I think the network age is going to be less hierarchical, right? So you'll have stake ownership, uh, stakeholdership where network participants are a little bit more equal than they would be in a hierarchical model, because that's just kind of what we've come to expect, right? Maybe this is aspirational, yeah. but I hope that we'll come to expect. Yeah. I don't, I don't, it'd be interesting to see if we ever get away from like all hierarchies. I, that'd be a very difficult one. I think just given human nature as a you know point of frailty, but um, it, it seems like we could we could do a much better job at calibrating it and and being transparent about distribution of value yeah. and and how people can earn value more efficiently, and not yeah. just be you know, you know, flicking a French fry off the table, you know, like mm -hmm. like but substantive. Like if you are involved in building something and creating value for the community, then that aligns with with your self interest, right? So it's it's really aligning the the game mechanisms of the individual and the larger yeah. kind of apparatus, but doing it in a much more open way. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe it's aspirational, but it's sure as hell what we're trying to build. Yeah. You're yeah. The I same thing. So. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, th I was thinking a little bit about what you're saying um, with respect to like, what does capitalism look like in an information age? And I think we've seen a lot of hyper capitalism in the form of like an Uber and a Lyft and an Upwork and, and some of the companies that I IPO during the web two epoch. Um, but I think that you know the hope the hope is that we'll not just see hyper capitalism and 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 an increasing gap between the rich and the poor driven by access to technology and capital, but also um, a little bit more of a like a network capitalism that takes what has been working on local community levels and scales it up to web scale. So you can you, and I think that that pluralistic approach in which you have stakeholders who are also consumers 
is really powerful. Um, one of my most like formative experiences was when I graduated from college and the first job that I took was with the Vanguard Co uh, Corporation in, in Malvern, Pennsylvania. This is back when I was still working in corporate America. And one of the things that I really liked about them was that they had a structure where if you bought one of their mutual funds, you also became an owner of Vanguard Corporation. And so exactly. as a manager of Vanguard, you don't have to choose between your owners and the people who are buying your mutual funds because they are the same person, right? And exactly. so it's, it's creating alignment for the people, for the management team who's making incentives to do what's best for all of their stakeholders. And they were way before their time, I think, um, in, in creating that, in, in making that the foundation of a, of a financial corporation. And, and I hope that a lot of the companies that are invented over the next several decades kind of follow, follow in, the, in the footsteps of Vanguard, but just in the network age. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and obviously, we, we personally believe that blockchain technology and cryptography and, and, and digital governance and transparency and all these kinds of things driven by technology are, are key elements to, to sustainability. And in in what, what I always refer to as sustainability of benevolence, right? Because if we don't have like good rails to like protect these things, they're going to get attacked and eventually they'll, they'll erode down. But I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that alignment is is really what I'm talking about when, you know, so even some of the experiments that I've seen in Web3 space, it's like you still have, you know, a boardroom of, of people um, who have very different goals than what the users of a network have. Yeah. So I think that, you know, one of the things that I've been starting to think a lot about is this concept called bentoism, which is basically the idea that instead of just making decisions that... Uh, benefit me and especially instant gratification me now me what if there was like a bento of of things that you could optimize for so there's that you can when you make a decision about what you're doing for the world you're optimizing not only for now me but also future me um, and adjacent to that is another bento box where you're optimizing for now us so the commons and then also future us in commons. And so what if you could program into the operating system of a corporation, the idea of public goods, which are basically goods that we all consume from, but don't have an inherent business model for them. And you can be a, a steward, not only of, of things that are part of the bottom line, but also things that are part of the common shared rich heritage that we, that we all, that we all draw from. And, you know, we're in Colorado. And so one of the things that I know that you really love, John is, clean air and clean water, the ability to go outside and take a, a, a fresh breath and hit the trails. Um, but I think it's no mistake that I'm working on a problem that's associated with digital public goods. So open source software um, and the internet infrastructure is an example of an information age native public good. And so uh, I think that there's a fertile ground for how do you build a system that has sustainability of benevolence, your words, but my words would be public goods and, and, shared infrastructure and and building building for that is is sort of what i think that we share yeah for sure now back to colorado for a second so shill colorado is something that that you and i've been supporting since i can remember right like mm -hmm. um you know pre-eth denver 2018 yeah. you know so like years and years ago we were talking about you know colorado has a very unique landscape when it comes to the social political scene you know we're kind of described as purple in a lot of sense but i think we're mm -hmm. pragmatic we're somewhat libertarian and we're somewhat egalitarian we're you yeah. know lots of parts lots of things right so like we have a very um i don't know re i don't know it just seems like there's a, a lot less sort of polarity here i could be wrong mm -hmm. but like at the end of the day um 
you know, we've seen a huge upswing of, of development in Web3 tech, open source, like all sorts mm-hmm. of different cool things. You know, what, what's, yeah. what's with the Shield Colorado thing with you? I mean, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your side of that and, and why yeah. you promote that? Yeah, uh, well, I think that, you know, the, the easy slam dunk case is that there's 300 days of sunshine per year out here and there's plenty of open space. So the in the COVID, in the COVID world where people are stuck in SF or New York in these boxes and they need more space uh, to be away from people, I think that that's sort of the slam dunk reason why you're starting to see more people move from, from the coasts into Colorado. But I also think that it's sort of the transplant spirit that comes from Colorado. Uh, I know that that uh, people here are very welcoming. Meetup groups are a huge way of building your network and getting to know the local community. And Colorado's tech scene is where I learned to do community organizing, to break bread with people who are in my community, no matter what their political differences are, and and to 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 sort of create a. Uh, they have this. The, the, I went through TechStars in 2008. That's where I got my start in technology and entrepreneurship out here. That was my escape from corporate America. Techstars was my landing pad. And they had this, this saying that they instilled in us, which was give first, which is basically the idea that you give without the expectation of return. And that doesn't mean that you don't, that you know, you create value. And that doesn't mean that you don't capture value. It doesn't mean that you don't get a return. It just means that you don't view relationships in a transactional mindset. And so I think it's that ethos of sort of that libertarian spirit, the the, the, the go west, the frontier spirit, but it's also the supportive community that you can, that you can land in. And I think it's probably through my community organizing that you and, you and I got together, John, and, and started jamming on all this Web3 stuff. So ha- having a supportive community is, is really important to me in, in where I am physically, but it's also my inspiration for the web scale infrastructure for jobs that we're going to build. People are going to slingshot off of each other and give first and help each other but in a, in a network native concept. And we have that really working in Colorado. So it's easy to copy that and put it into, into web three. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, we've heard governor Polis talk about blockchain for the win and he of course came and did the, you know, uh, the fireside chat with Laura Shin and the governor of Wyoming and and the Buffett B is for Buffett which is obviously, you know, a wonderful children's book. If you haven't picked one up, you can go to (laughs) Buffett and pick one up. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it seems like, you know, if you want to talk about like, I don't know how many other States have that, like, you know, when you talk about the kinds of goals that we have from a, you know, technological modernization of public goods and building these infrastructures, like, I don't see a lot of states that are, I mean, I see a lot of states tooling around with like little blockchain councils and commissions and idea generating things and think tanks and whatnot, but there's a lot of talkie talkie and not a lot of walkie walkie, or as I say, not a lot of owaki owaki. So what, what's the, uh, you know, what do you think the, what's the difference here? Is it just the fact that one of the founders of Techstars is, you know, the governor? I mean, is that it? Is it simple as that? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're also, yes, and I think that that's part of it. But I also think we're starting to see the seeds of internet capitalism move out of just Silicon Valley and germinate in local communities worldwide. And, you know, that's why that's why Colorado has a great tech scene. I think Portland, Oregon has a really strong tech scene. And I think that we're going to start to see uh, a lot more places compete on the on the 
the internet frontier in, in creating this. And so I, I think that Colorado is just one of many of those seeds that's going to germinate in the 21st century and hopefully build better infrastructure, be the, the vanguard for the other states who are going to who are looking for a model to copy in how you build an information age model for public goods, for governance, and and for economic upside for people. So I hope that we continue to to lead the future, in, or sorry, to lead into the future in an information age native way. And so Shill Colorado has a lot of memes behind it, I think, and it can all it just does. be wrapped up into that one meme, Shill Colorado. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like if we're successful in doing all of this, the quality of life is going to exponentially be driven up yeah. here too. I mean, if we have you know better calibrated you know social political systems and better infrastructures and you know in high, higher frequency work opportunities and just like and we're actually executing on these things, it seems mm-hmm. like I mean the proof's in the pudding, right? It's either going to be better or not, and if it's if it's really driving a better outcome for the you know rising tide raises all boats, so it's it's not just you know, for some, it really would really be for all Coloradans yeah. that would have that. It seemed like it would be a pretty bright spot for people to want to come and be. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, taking it back to my my sort of, like, theory about industrial age institutions versus information age institutions, I feel like we're in the twilight of industrial capitalism. And so what's really needed is people who are going to tinker on this new frontier with creating foundations new institutions, new information age institutions. They're going to fund public goods. They're going to fund employment, all of these things that people rely on. And so what we really need is people who are willing to hit the reset button there and are willing to invent new, better ways to do things. Because we are in a transitionary period between industrial capitalism and information age capitalism. And I think that there's a lot of downside to that in that knife's edge. And I also think there's a lot of upside for people who who are, are willing to dream big and and create a, a better world. And I don't I don't know that Opolis and, and Gitcoin are, are gonna be successful, but I think we're at least taking a shot and and that's that's what you gotta do when times are uncertain. Yeah, I mean the way I look at it is if we're not gonna do it, who is, you know, if not us, then why not us? You know, like I don't know. Be the change, yeah. Might as well. I mean I got nothing else to do that I feel that passionate about. So like I might as well just yeah. Well, I think that one of the things that I think that I share with you, and I felt it in our first interaction, was that we've kind of been through the ringer with uh, with the existing institutions and the existing games. And I know that I've done a couple. You know, I was the CTO of an online dating website for five years, and and have worked in startups for several years. And I sort of know the run of things and and how things go. And so um, I think that there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are that are looking for something different to play a game that's a little bit more uh, about inventing something that's more network oriented and has steward capital stewardship in, baked into it. And so I think that it's, it's us grizzly veterans who have seen the folly of the old world who are hopefully going to give it a, give it a shot. Well, that, that actually dovetails into like the sentiments that you're seeing in the younger populations in the workforce too, is they're, they're much more apt to align their work with their values and, and their, their sort of worldview. And, you know, doing something purposeful, meaningful, you know, it's not just a means to an end anymore. You know, they're looking at their grandparents or their parents and they're not that excited no. about it. So it, it, I think that's, I think that's permeating into the, to the, the, the general view of just entrepreneurism and, and starting businesses. You know, it's not just, you know, sort of, I, I think the information age capitalism that you're referring to is really that genesis of that. I mean, it's really, we're, we're in the yeah. beginning of it. 
um, yeah. and new models and things, which, which brings me to a question I had. So uh, quadratic funding is obviously a, a, been a covered topic in other contexts. It's not, we're not the first mm-hmm. ones to talk about that here on OPR, but yeah. Um, I, I wanted you to, to kind of just give us the, the high level of kind of where you think that's going. I know that you did an experiment yeah. in Boulder recently, um, yep. you know, as it relates to, you know, building these future infrastructures, these quasi public utility, whatever's, mm-hmm. you know, the Gitcoins, the, the Opolises, like, what do you, yeah. you know, what do you, what do you see the next chapters of, of quadratic funding and sort of, you know, funding and sustainably funding these kinds yeah. of projects? Yeah, so quadratic funding is is a big passion thing for me because I, I feel really strongly about not only pil- providing an infrastructure for the people who are privileged enough to be able to be entrepreneurial, but also for people who are really doing good work, but are also not as privileged as, as, as I have been blessed to be. And so the way that quadratic funding works is that um, you basically, it's a way of funding public goods that optimizes for what's broadly democratically popular. So basically you write, you raise a, a matching pool and you basically allow people to set up grant contribution pages. Think of them like a GoFundMe or a Patreon. And then for a limited amount of time every quarter, contributions to those grant matching pages are going to be matched. But here's, here's the kicker. They're going to be matched by the number of contributors, not the amount that they contributed. So this is why it's broad, it's based off of what's broadly democratic pop democratically popular. If you have grant A which raised a hundred dollars from one person, and you have grant B which raised a hundred dollars from a hundred people, so one dollar each, then that second grant will get way more of the matching funds. You're optimizing for the what's democratically popular. What do the most people feel passionate about that they're willing to give a dollar to? And so this is a way of creating bottoms up funding for public goods. And for goods in an ecosystem that are that so are the really community signals people. the community signals much stronger than than the capital signal, right? So in other they're words, both, if I, they're it, both powerful. But well, but yeah, sure, but it, signals, it's sort of yeah. uh, it's sort of calibrating it, right? So it's not just so weighted on just capital, right? Because if yeah, if I'm if I'm a whale and I go in and I put a fifty thousand dollars down on a project and I'm one mm-hmm. contributor, that's still yeah. going to get less matching funds than fifty thousand yeah. contributors of one dollar. Right. So it's yeah. the signal sort of yeah, or, recalibrating with the capital signal. I'd, I'd have to run the math, but I think even if like 10, 10 people contributed $1, it would be weighted more than someone who contributed $50,000. So it's, it's that much weighted towards democracy. And the cool thing about this is we're actually, according to Vitalik Buterin, it, Gitcoin Grants is an institution in the Ethereum ecosystem that many projects rely on for part or all of their funding. So basically we reached this point where the Ethereum Foundation, which is building the ecosystem, just they're doing really great work, but they don't have the infrastructure to keep up with thousands of grants applications per quarter. Well, they don't have the sustainability either. I mean, they're they're a foundation with a fund essentially that's going to run out at some point. Yeah, so we provide as a service infrastructure to provide democratic distribution of money for public goods. And so we've We've raised $2.4 million for the Ethereum ecosystem, but when the when COVID hit and the federal government was doing economic stimulus, I was reading that something like 98% of it was administered through banks into these large corporations, many of which who had political connections. And I was like, oh, that, that sucks. I mean, that's awful. And that's that's the opposite of what we should be doing, which is giving out goods, giving out stimulus money to to 
businesses that have broad democratic support? Wouldn't it be great if there was a scalable way of distributing democratic funding to ecosystems? And I was like, oh, wait, quadratic funding. And so we ran this campaign called Downtown Stimulus that uh, gave out $25,000 in matching funds to Main Street businesses in Boulder, Colorado. So not Web3 businesses. This is all credit cards. Right, just no regular people that are like struggling because of COVID and, you know, all yeah. of that. Yeah. And there's lots of them. And so basically, oh God, yeah. how, how do we create democratic uh, support funding mechanisms? And so, so basically, we had a huge success. I mean, we raised $13,000 from almost 300 people during the two-week span in which we won, ran quadratic funding in downtown Boulder. And so now with, the, with Congress talking about a second round of stimulus, I'm really looking forward to taking downtown stimulus to Philadelphia, to Georgia, to Denver, and running another campaign in Boulder, because I think that we need more democratic ways of funding public goods and ones that make sense to modern day information age consumers. And so that's what we're trying to do with quadratic funding. Yeah, it's great. Um, that's really fabulous. How do you see that impacting, you know, the funding of projects? I mean, VC money is obviously a very centralized way of building returns for their LPs, right? So they have, you know, fund requirements yeah. on, on returns and they're really looking for the 100X or the unicorns, which isn't 99% of the deals they're going to see. So like there's a lot of collateral damage, you could say, in the VC world that might otherwise be viable businesses. Um, yeah. You've got, you know asymmetric value distribution, you know, where you could put a $10 million investment into a VC deal and get 1.2 billion when the average user of the marketplace doesn't make minimum wage. So like there's lots of those kinds of things, but like, I'm not here to, you know, say VCs are bad because I think there again, there's been a lot of value that's been created, but the next epoch, the next chapter, what does quadratic funding do to that? What is, you know, what are the, what are the new game designs that are going to come out that are going to help create sustainable funding mechanisms for yeah. startups? Yeah. So I think that one of the things that Vitalik talks a lot about is this idea of a, fr- a quadratic freelancer. So once you reach a certain threshold, there'll be people who can just quit their corporate job, you know, quit working for Uber and they can just be a quadratic freelancer, someone who just works for the public good. And so I think that scaling up the amount of funding that we're doing with Gitcoin grants from 400K per quarter to $4 million per quarter will allow a lot more people to cross that threshold in which they're just being paid. They can support their family, put food on the table, pay their mortgage just by working on on public goods. And so I think that that's, that's sort of the first step that we're trying to create in terms of economic, remember our mission is to create economic opportunities for people. And so I yeah, think that that's, sure. that's the first step that we'll see. But I, I got to tell you, John, I, I'm, I'll strike out on that question when it comes to private investment. There's too many regulations. There's too much regulatory capture. It costs too much money to raise money for a startup. Um, well, let me, let me, ask you the, let me simplify way. it then. Do you think, do you think that if accredited investor laws were relaxed to something like a certification, right? Instead mm-hmm. of being, wealth driven by you know my net worth but by my intelligence by like what i know uh do you think that would change because right now the crowdfunding laws aren't doing that well right in there's there's lots of reasons for it we don't have time to unpack it but do you do you think that that one change would make any difference yeah i mean if there's a rule that says you have to be a certain amount of rich to get more rich then i think yeah changing it is probably a good idea for trying to democratize uh the upside so, but yeah, I know, I I know that, but idea. do you think it would functionally make a difference? Because right now, you know, it just seems like there's, there's yeah. very few options, right? Like to go out and get 
you know, yeah. significant capital. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that it would. I think that basically you need to create the regulatory niche in which it's legal for an entrepreneur like me to go in and say, hey, who wants to invest in the top 10 Gitcoin grantees from the last round? Um, I'd be happy to bundle up 10 grantees and offer, a, you know, let's call it a 500K fund where you can all just invest in them out of, out of, out of pocket and actually get equity in the upside of these projects. And I, I think that there's there's no one really doing that because it's not legal to do to do. Yeah, right exactly. Now. I, th- so. th- th- yeah, I think that's my. I think that's man. There's so many things. If we just did that one thing, that that would be. I was just curious to yeah. know your take on it because like that one thing seems to be a big sticking point for mm-hmm. really the democratization of capital in in a, in yeah. a much larger sense. Capital but, formation. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think we swung too far in the other direction. Like ICOs in 2017 ha- kind of had that. Uh, that ruse that they were selling tokens that would be able to use in the network, but they didn't really provide any of the ownership benefits associated with being on the cap table of an organization. So uh, yeah, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't really um, uh, correlate to value creation either. So there was this, you know, sort of in, you know, stated value, but the the real value was not really there yet. And we kind of got a little over our skis, I think on some of those things, but yeah, I'd agree with you. So we have a comment from Gadget. I don't Gadget. I don't. I'm not sure exactly if I'm saying the name right. But quadratic funding on uh, on con- congressional stimulus would be nice. Yeah, it'd be cool to see something like right, that. Write your senators. Write your governors. Shout it from the rooftops. Help us. Help oh us my happen. God, that would Make be amazing. Like if you had some sort of like you know, uh, community reputation score that basically like went into like how much funding you got because you did a good job and like people actually liked yeah. the business that you had, that would be insane. That I mean, I so think cool. that the future that we're trying to avoid here is that downtown Boulder, the only things that have survived COVID are the Chipotle's of the world and like the Cheesecake Factory, like the corporate backers that have the financial wherewithal to- Well, Cheesecake Factory's in this. big trouble, man. They're they're like closing a lot of their stores. Maybe, so I don't think that's maybe, a good example. Maybe a bad example. But so I basically want to see mom and pop restaurants survive. I want to see the richness and diversity, the plurality of our local communities be supported. I don't want everyone to have to go be a fucking Lyft driver. Well, I'd like to see um, how, so I'd like to see to how meritocracy businesses. of reputation actually drives some of that, right? Like if you're a great restaurant and people want to see you survive, right now there's yeah. no way to differentiate you between yeah. the one down the street that's no good that Buy a gift card maybe and and say a hope and a prayer for you. (laughs) Right. Or you could do that, but like, you know, like sustainably though. I I don't know. That's again another another podcast. So I'm gonna uh well, I guess I let's dive into some questions and see if anybody has any. We've got one already popped up here. Taylor, what's up, man? How's it going, dude? Um what do John and Kevin not agree on? What do we not agree on, Kevin? Uh, I'd say that I'm more of a hacky sack guy and you're more of a, I wear a blazer and work the room kind of guy. Yeah, it's probably right. Um, I don't think I'm going to play hacky sack with you, which is like, we've been friends for three years. So, well, you know, I know how to play hacky sack, dude. I, I, I used to play hacky sack in high school, like all the time. So I, I got to dust it off a little bit, but I'd be happy to play with you. This is something we're supposed to disagree on, John. All right. You, you choose one. No, I, I, well, I, I would probably wouldn't be my first thing that I would do. But like, yeah, yeah, I'm a poker guy. That's You're not true. really. I mean, I did make it to the final table at East Denver 2018, despite yeah, not this, being a poker guy. Yeah, it's true. 
I think I just like goodwilled and karma my way into it. And also I kept giving Paul Foley was sitting next to me at the poker table and I kept feeding him drinks and somehow I won all his money after that. So uh, that's my poker strategy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think we agree on a lot of things. Uh, We want to build a better future for employment. Uh, We both chill Colorado. We both have kids and families. So we're kind of in the same democratic need, Democrat demographic niche. So maybe a hard question. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I I think, yeah, I think some of this, I didn't bring you on to like have a political debate with you or anything like that. Like we, we actually do quite, we see eye to eye on a lot of things. I think our approaches are a little different. I think, yeah, yeah. I'd have to think about that. I, I think if I were to have a criticism of you, I think you held on to the sort of hardcore capitalism exit strategy at Gitcoin a long time. And, and I tried talking you out of it, but I think you've you've pivoted very nicely and you're you're sort of evolving yourselves very well. So I don't think it hurt you at all. Yeah. The, yeah, having a business um, model was something that we eventually had to swallow that pill. So guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah. Well you did, and I think you did it though, right. I I think you you didn't just sell it out though. I think that's the thing that that I would have been concerned yeah. about is that you would have just sold out your business model to traditional third party extractionary mechanisms and other typical yeah. things in, in a very rather antithetical way that would have been contrary to what, you know, yeah. dated purpose would be. But I think you guys sure. have done a good job at threading the needle in a very difficult spot. Yeah. Well, we're still here and yeah, not all the projects kicking. from 2017 can say that. So <laughs> yeah, same with us, man. Like uh, you know, I look around and I'm, you know, I'm like, wow, a lot of our friends have kind of moved on to other things and, started new projects. I mean, it's an interesting chapter popping up, but yeah. All right. Any more questions? Q&A is open. So you can, um, if you want to go to the bottom of your Zoom screen, you can jump into the Q&A tab and lob in a question. So while we're waiting to see if any other questions are there, um, what's your number one prediction for the next 12 months in blockchain web three? I think that we're going to see a resurgence. I mean, DeFi is is the hot trend right now. And the things that are successful within DeFi actually provide utility and have users. And so in any other ecosystem, that would be table stakes. But um, I think that a lot of people are really looking forward to seeing what drives the next cycle of adoption and growth within, within, within crypto coins. And I think that the people who are actually having an impact on, on lives are going to be able to act are, are going to be the, the projects that we see start to lift up from their doldrums. And those, those tokens are going to do a lot better. So keeping an eye on compound, keeping an eye on, on die, keeping an eye on prediction markets, keeping an eye on job markets like Opolis and Gitcoin. And so uh, I'm really excited to see a resurgence of DeFi. And I think that it's going to define the next generation of companies whereas i think that we're still standing in the shadow of 2017 so my hope is that we're going to make that we're going to we're going to pivot from being being defined by ethereum as icos to ethereum is a rich ecosystem of DeFi apps that you can all use today yeah now yeah, i think it's going to be really interesting to see what un- unpacks i think i think you're 100 right the thing that i would probably say most is you know even 18 months ago you could raise you could raise capital on an idea. Mm. And um, nowadays it's, it's, it's moving to more traditional metrics. You got to have users, you got to have engagement, you got to have transaction volume, you got to have all these different things. And, 
And it's not, I mean, Web3 is not an easy space to have that, right? And, and to talk about- it's a lot know, of UX all, hurdles, yeah. Oh my God, the UX hurdles are, are, are insanely big. And mm-hmm. um, it's going to be really interesting to see what gets built on top of this DeFi momentum. And I think yeah. your, your prediction on, on the metrics is right. I think it's, it's really about engagement and, and who's got yeah. the most promising vector on, on user adoption widespread. One thing I like one needle I would like to to thread, yes, and is that I, I think that one of the things we really need to figure out is sustainable business models in this space. So uh, yeah. we had this idea of tokens and ICOs in 2017, which everyone did, but it turns out no one gives a, a hoot about your token. And so as we swing back towards the more traditional metrics, the web two metrics, the ad supported businesses and the subscription supported businesses, I'm I'm almost wondering if we're gonna overcorrect and people are gonna try to build uh subscription models because that's what worked in web two. And I'm really interested to see as that pendulum swings back and forth, how we can land in the middle and create a new information. Like we have the internet of money now, right? So we can create new business models that are native to the information age, just like, uh, just like in the web two, in, in the web two ecosystem, we had new business models built around SaaS software as a service. So um, I'm really excited to see, see what, how people pay their, their salaries without, having to go to VCs and do the 100X treadmill. And so um, my prediction, in 12 months, we'll see a new business model that's emerging that's that's fundamentally new and, and native to the internet of money. So De- DeFi leading the charge was my gimme prediction. New business model is my, is my far out Hail Mary prediction. And you think 12 months we're going to have that? You think we're going to see an example of that in 12 months? I think the the future exists already. It's just not evenly distributed. So I think it'll exist. We may not know about it, but I think that uh, I think that it will become widely popular. And you know, someone I remember I was around in tech when Groupon was a huge thing, and everyone built Groupon yeah. for X. And so I think that someone's going to figure out a new model that works, and then everyone's going to copy it. And um, I don't know what that is, but I think that I think that it's going to exist within twelve months of now, which will be what. July of 2021. All right. Well, let's plan to be back and talking about it. So let's time and date stamp it. So we have one last question that popped in here, Kev. Um, And I'm going to, I'm going to let you kind of take a swing at this before I weigh in, but what's going on with these gas fees and what happens to the landscape if the gas fees stay high? Oh man, I don't want to take a swing at this. This is a depressing one. Uh, No. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, the Ethereum network is economic bandwidth and there's supply and demand for any scarce resource and turns out a lot of people want economic bandwidth. So the ETH1 infrastructure, which was launched in 2015 off of a proof of work based blockchain, which includes an EVM smart contract layer is getting so much demand that the supply can't keep up. And so basically what's, what's happening is that because there's more demand than there is supply, the gas prices are being bid up. And I think that that's, that's good because it means that people are actually using Ethereum. Ethereum's network effects are realizing uh, in terms of more usage, but it's, it's bad because it increases the barrier for the network to be used in that you have to pay more for every state change on the Ethereum network. So I think that uh, that's going to drive two things. It's going to drive an increase in urgency for ETH2. And then it's also going to drive an adoption of layer two technologies by prominent dApps. So Gitcoin grants, this is not a promise, but is it a prediction? Next, next time Gitcoin grants rounds go live, 
you will be able to use a layer two technology in order to pay people on the Gitcoin platform. And it'll be way less gas than using the uh, layer one Ethereum network will be. So the, the supply demand imbalance is going to drive investments in ETH2 and in layer two. And I'm excited to see what those yield, but I'm gritting my teeth for the pain in the meantime until those things are, are ready for prime time. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, E two is is a big, yeah. a big thing that is, um, I think, a lot of hopes and prayers hinge on in in a lot of ways. I mean, just the scalability yeah. of of Ethereum, as you've described, with just the supply and demand issue, is is going to create some congestion for pricing. And I think that, yeah, I don't know that there's going to be any short term reprieve on that because it's working as designed, right? Like this isn't uh, this is a this is not a bug; it's a feature. This is the network right. effect, yeah. I mean, I'll push back on that a little bit, and I'll say, so I, I talked to a couple prominent developers about this, and and what they basically said is that layer two is here. Optimistic rollups, zk rollups are all tech that we don't have time to go into right now, but it's here, and you as a developer can build it into your app. But this hasn't been a real good reason to build it into your app until five weeks ago when the the gas prices went up. So um, I know that Ethereum has a multi pronged scaling strategy. Um, proof of stake will provide 10x more economic bandwidth. Sharding will produce 10x more economic bandwidth. And those two things hinge on each ETH2. But the third thing, which also can provide 10x more economic bandwidth is layer two. And all of that technology exists right now. Rollups exist right now, optimistic rollups, zero knowledge proofs. And so uh, I think that we're going to see a lot of people who still rely on ETH1 start to really move over to that layer two technology that exists today. But it's just that, you know, five weeks of high gas prices are not enough for people to orient their developer roadmaps around layer two. And so it's just going to take probably a couple months until Gitcoin Grants launches layer two, until in, until Uniswap layer, uh, launches layer two. All these popular apps are going to start building in layer two technologies, and that doesn't have to wait for ETH2. Yeah, no, I, that's a good that's a good point. Um, you know, I, I think the, the multi-pronged approach has been something that, that's been worked on for a long time i mean you know th- this is not yeah. new um i guess it's uh, i think the widespread awareness of what's available isn't quite there like i think yeah. p- p- you know I-, I think you're right that there wasn't reason to know about it yeah because well, it did scale you know i mean there wasn't a, a price a gas price problem yeah so yeah i think that um you know if if you're someone who looks like Gilfoyle from silicon valley you might know about it but uh maybe in 12 months another prediction will be that even the Ehrlich Bachmans and the John Powers of the world will will know about the layer two texts because they'll be using them every day. Well, I know about them. It's just it's just a function of like you know, do I know enough to go implement it? No, I don't. I know I know conceptually yeah. about them, but like I haven't I haven't really unpacked a lot of that yet. But yeah, well, I'm happy to talk to your tech team, uh, talk their ear off anytime about layer two tech. I think it's really yeah, fascinating anytime. what's been built. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Well, Kev, thank you. It's always a pleasure to to wrap with you about Colorado and other and other topics. We got Taylor chiming in here saying, "Well, that's almost a disagreement." <laughs> um, so we'll take it. We'll take it. We, we we're not yeah. we're not we're not clones by any stretch. But this is one of the things I think is great about the space is there's a lot of alignment in the thinking and just different approaches and different you know different skill sets is really what gets it done at the end of the day. So, yep. Um, thank you so much for, for being here. Um, it's, it's, like I said, always a pleasure. And um, to everybody out in the ethersphere here, thank you for joining this episode of Opolis Public Radio. Remember to subscri- subscribe to our Opolis YouTube channel for more videos just like this, 
inscribe where, wherever you listen to podcasts to listen to the audio only version. If you're a freelancer, gig worker, entrepreneur, independent contractor, and you're looking for an employment solution to become a self-sovereign worker, make sure to join the Opolis Employment Commons at opolis.co. That's O-P-O-L-I-S dot C-O. And we'll see you there. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thanks for listening. We hope you liked the episode. If you did, please leave us a rating or review and don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.